Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Woolsey. Just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning talking about your money, the economy, how to build your net worth, all these important things. And with me, as always, almost always, is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Good to be here. Well, we got a lot uh, a lot of work to do here, so let's get uh, busy here because a lot of things happened last week. We always like to open the phones for listeners when they got their questions on investments. They want that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion on the stocks they want to talk about. Uh, phone numbers for that, I'll give it to you now, 833-288-0973. That's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. But before we go to the calls, let's talk about some important things that came out last week uh, in the news here. And I, I've got to bring this up as SPACs. Uh, <laughs> you may not remember about 18, 24 months ago, and the big rage was SPACs. And these are special purpose acquisition companies, and many were formed back in 2020. Uh, we talked about not investing in these blind pools for fear of being hurt and, and losing money. Now, fast forward to the spring of 2022, we find that 602 SPACs holding roughly $162 billion in funds are still hurting for companies to acquire. Yeah, they're still hunting for companies yes, to acquire. Hunting. Yeah, it's not hurting. They <laughs> <laughs> still want to find that business to, to kind of merge with there. And, and the problem that we look at is if they don't find the acquisitions after 24 months, they generally have to give the money back to the investors. And, and I remember people saying this back, well, you know, it's, it's like there's not much risk to it because I'll get my money back. Well, I mean, I mean, the other thing we kind of look at is they can get a six-month extension if they have a letter of intent for a, a definite agreement with the business. But the problem is with investors just simply getting their money back is that they missed out on many great opportunities of great public companies that were on sale mid-2020. That is what investing in high will do to investors. And, and kind of go back to that point again. It's like, well, I get my money back. Low risk, basically, is kind of what people would say. Right. <clears throat> Again, that opportunity cost of if you were in a SPAC in, let's say, March, April 2020, <laughs> you cost yourself a lot of money <laughs> if you get your money back today. And the other thing you look at, too, is the price declines that we've seen in these SPACs has been just ludicrous. I mean, yeah. they, they've if you held it and you're like, I knew it, that SPAC was going to go through, <laughs> it went up 100%. But then they've crashed, and they're back to about where they were many times. And, and, and this is another thing I talked about back then. We, we discussed it, that Wall Street comes out with these great things for Wall Street, and the investor, they get investors excited about it. Remember, they had, I, I can't even remember the star names they had in there, athletes, uh, actors. Oh, they're part of it. Oh, let's get into this because they're into it and so forth. But you look underneath the curtain, and you find that the fundamentals were really not there. And, it, again, it's a blind pool that you're investing into, but yet you had great buys on many, many great companies that were you know, insurance companies, financial companies. I mean, it was just a great time to be investing in public companies, and you were drawn away from that, or people were drawn away from that because of, once again, the hype that Wall Street created. Well, the thing that, that really concerns me a lot of times with these SPACs, too, is overpaying for companies. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of great businesses out there, and as you said, these SPACs are kind of starting to have more pressure. So I think they're kind of starting to push the envelope a little bit rather than saying, well, let's just give the shareholders the money back. They might merge with a terrible company now because they feel that pressure. It's like, well, that's not what I wanted. And a lot of times they leave themselves up to a little more discretion than I'd like to see. You know, they kind of say, well, this is our mission, but, you know, we could invest in this too. And you just got to be very, very careful. I like to invest in 
something I know. Yeah, something you can the see. The back is, as right. you said, blind. <laughs> that, that's terrifying. <laughs> and I still, and we talked about it before, like a couple of years ago. Why do people think this is a great deal? Because it's blind. You don't know what they're getting, and the hype was there. And the, and you're so so right because now you've got to do this. So as opposed to being, because I like to be in a situation where I can negotiate and be patient. If I gotta wait six months to buy something, that's fine. Well, now you're a SPAC, you're coming to XYZ company to buy them, you're not gonna get a deal because they know like, yeah, we know that you gotta do something in three <laughs> months. So you have a choice either pay our price now or sorry, you know, it, 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 they're not gonna get good deals. It, it's gonna be more of a disaster going forward. And, and again, I, I'll caution people, I've been doing this for 40 years. There's been so many of these deals that are great for Wall Street. Again, when you hear these great deals from Wall Street, everybody's excited about them, turn the other way and just go back to the, to the market and find good quality businesses. Yeah, that's the key to it. And, and you have to understand, you're gonna miss out on some. You know, you had all the hype of the SPACs and yeah, people were making a, a bunch of money on some of them and yeah, you missed out on it. But you also too haven't ridden, ridden like uh, the Virgin Galactics up and then all the way down. And, <clears throat> you know the other companies too. Like like I know Lucid is another one that was a SPAC that, yeah. that merged and went all the way up and then all the way down. And it, it, it's a it's just a lot of hype and and that that hype on Wall Street doesn't last all the time. And and we're seeing that now. And were we early to the call last year and we missed out on some? Absolutely, yeah. but. You know, uh, you look at, again, th those companies that are now down 50, 60, 70, some of them down 80% from their highs. That's what I want to avoid. I don't care if I miss out on other things. Yeah, it, it, as long as got the fundamentals come back. And again, with these SPACs, it's just not going to happen. So always be careful. The lesson here we're trying to get across, always be careful of these Wall Street great plans. If they sound too good to be true and there's kind of like the, the, the dancing band and you got everything, all this hype, like, oh, and they got the great celebrities coming in, the athletes. No, there's a reason for that. It's not a good investment. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go a little off track here. Sure, go ahead. Because this company was in a SPAC, but I just have to bring it up. Rivian. Oh. Now at $38 a share. Yeah. And I rem again, the hype. Oh, this is so great. It's going to be so Tesla. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Went as high as $179 a share. And I believe I, and, and again, we don't follow it. We just kind of pick up different things. We hear about it on I, the news yesterday. That's yeah, on the news yesterday. But I believe they said that they're, they were. I think they were increasing their prices, but they weren't gonna. I mean, it's just a very increasing prices, and then also to reducing their their guidance for output this year. Yes, that's what. Yeah. So the so I was gonna say their inventory. No, it was on their inventory, but so they're not gonna output as much, but they're gonna try to charge more. Now, Rivian. It's not like they were Tesla many years ago. <laughs> There's no competition. Yeah, you're gonna raise your prices, and you they haven't sold anything yet, have they? Uh, remember, they had like 12 truck sales last year to but employees. To employees, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's not really, yeah. They, so. they do have orders, and uh, yeah. you know, I I kind of said this about the Mustang Mach-E when it first came out. I said I don't really like it. It's yeah. grown on me, but I when I see the Rivian truck, I, I've seen it. I think the same guy he might work for Rivian or something. He's right. around uh, Scripps Ranch. Oh, really? Um, I've seen I'm one serious. of them on yeah. the road, and I, I don't think they're that cool looking. Really? I, I'm just not that impressed. Like, I, I don't see the hype behind it. So I, I don't know. I mean, re re real quick, what, what do you think looks better, the uh, Rivian truck or the Hummer? <laughs> Hummer. That <laughs> thing is sweet looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, EVs, let's talk about oil prices. And again, we talk a lot about oil because it's in the news all the time. And Russia has made a bold, bold call that 
If the West proceeds with a ban on energy exports, oil prices would skyrocket to $300 a barrel, if not more. This would be a devastating situation for our economy, but I, I just don't see this as being likely. Uh, I say possible, but not likely. Currently, the major oil companies and the government are playing a blame game with one another. The White House is saying that there are 9,000 approved drilling permits that are not being used, and the oil companies are placing blame on the pause leasing on federal lands. According to American Petroleum Institute CEO Mike Summers, once you lease land, there's a whole process that you go through uh, after that. Yeah, and, and first you, you have to actually discover whether actually there's oil and gas on the land. Second of all, you have to get a permit to actually develop on that land. So <laughs> yeah. it's not just one permit. It, it, it's two permits there. And then Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO Leslie Byer similarly said, some permits are viable and some are not. Rather than going back and forth, it'd be great to see the major oil companies and institutes working with the government to get through this problem and slow the increasing oil prices. And the thing that we look at, too, is during the last oil price spike, it was the innovation of fracking companies here in the U.S. that greatly reduced oil prices. All of a sudden, we had this huge oil glut. There was so much. That's what created the, the price decreases, not oh, well, oil companies just wanted to decrease the price of oil. <laughs> this is a supply cut that actually did that. And one area that is actually quite concerning to me is Europe's gas situation. The European Union currently receives about 40% of its gas from Russian pipelines. Europe needs to find workarounds quickly or they will be hit with major, major price increases. And, and Chase, I, I've said this and it's so basic and, and I've talked to Congress people and so forth saying, can we just teach the Congress or the senators about supply demand. I mean, if you have a lot of supply of oil, the price is not going to go up yeah. because you, you, <laughs> you've got to bring down price to sell it and, and vice versa. And people say, oh, it's this, it's that. There's just not enough supply right now because of fact, again, is it because it permits, because of leases? It's very convoluted of what, what's going on there, but there's not the supply. Not the supply. And, you know, I am going to put some blame on these oil companies, too. I mean, we've kind of talked in the office a little bit that I think they are taking a little bit of advantage of the situation. Um, I don't necessarily fully blame them for taking right. advantage, especially after going through COVID when now they kind of need to recoup some profits and so forth. And, and their ultimate job is to the shareholders. Right. So that is the, the purpose of corporations. But uh, I, I do think they are kind of hiding behind it a little bit. But the thing that just upsets me is the reporters going back and forth. Why don't you just take out the reporters and, hey, open up the <laughs> phone lines and talk to each other? Right. I think these oil companies may have some great ideas on how they could actually decrease the price of oil. Well, speaking of great ideas, let's talk about – I'm going to try not to laugh through this because it's so laughable. Let's talk about tax on big oil companies. Uh, I was very disappointed to see Congress members' solution to higher – oil prices is to tax, that's right, to tax big oil companies at extremely high rates. The proposal, which comes from Elizabeth Warren and Sheldon Whitehouse, would require all oil companies that produce or import at least 300,000 barrels of oil per day to pay a per barrel tax equal to 50% the difference between the current price of a barrel and the average price from the years 2015 and 2019. I can't say it with a straight face because it is so laughable. 
And again, this is when oil prices were quite low. That 2015 is when oil prices plummeted. Yeah. You know, it's just it's crazy. This would create a top line tax as well, which can be very dangerous as it does not consider all the costs a company has to pay. I mean, again, you talk about rising wages here. Oh, sorry. Well, the price of oil is up, so we're just going to take it off the top line. (laughs) That is very dangerous. And the benefit is also extremely limited as they're estimating single filers would receive approximately $240 a year. Not a month, $240 a year. And oh, joint filers would get about $360. So, yeah, what did you say? $20 a month? $20 a month. <laughs> yeah. Wow. The benefits <laughs> would phase out for individuals earning more than $75,000 or couples earning $150,000. Again, I'd much rather see government work with these oil companies rather than attack them to help reduce energy prices. That'd be far more beneficial. I'd rather see oil go from the 110 range back down to 90 then get $240 a year. And and you know that they would collect something like a billion dollars, but somehow only 500 million got sent out to the people. It's just not a good plan. And and this is why I get so aggravated at, at, at these Congress, well, people, um, for silly things that come out like this. I mean, and all you're going to do is drive the price way up. I, I, I just, I just... You know, I don't I, get it. I, I, I really wish that when they're running for office, they had to take an economics test. Very basic. No, very basic, but just, just some type of test to, to say yes. I mean, because they are controlling our economy to some degree. Right. Yeah, and then you got to publish the results to see what they are. And you can still run for Congress, but if you got a D on it, I hope you don't get elected. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the thing I want to kind of revert back to is, you know, the, the Russian claim about the, the $300 a barrel in oil. I mean— We've seen now oil prices spike up to, uh, gosh, around 125, I think, is about the high range that we've seen. Yeah, and then they, they pulled yeah. back. And I, I just I, I don't foresee oil going above 150 I, I, unless there is a, a catastrophic blow to the, right. the supply and a huge increase in demand. I, I just don't see how we get there because if we did have a huge price spike to 300, that's where you're going to have major problems in the economy because at that point, now you're really reducing the demand. And that's the nice thing about supply and demand is it equals out in the long term to kind of create that that market for it. Right. So unfortunately, that would crush the economy. But I, I think 150 would be my high right. estimation. And, and again, also on the positive side for the political side is uh, the governor of Alaska. I believe he said that, yes, if he give us the permission, we could pump, I think it was 1.5 million barrels a day. Uh, but there's something blocking him on the prim- permit side or the regulations. And that's the thing people don't get is when, when and again, I don't want to get too political here, but just to try to be real, is that when President Biden came into office, he made the, he increased the regulations. He, I mean, he did these things, cut the pipelines. It was just, it was the opposite of what you wanted to do. And I wish he would just kind of reverse that, even temporarily till we get through this situation. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, that's one thing I would, would like to see. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And as always, I'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, for no opinion about what you want to talk about. And before we go to the calls, I do want to talk about one positive thing. I guess we we'll call it positive, and that's our favorite. It's the JOLTS report, which stands for Job Opening uh, labor turnover survey uh, came out, uh, when was it? Uh, Thursday, I think. Yeah. yeah, Thursday. And the openings continue to remain strong at 11.26 million in the month of January. This level is currently 4.75 million more than those that are continued as unemployed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you're seeing uh, 
a huge discrepancy there again between the amount of people that are counted as unemployed and yep. the jobs that are out there. So, yeah. you know, they're they're there. They're they're still jobs. And, and the other number that continues to amaze me is a quits number, which came in at 4.25 million. Now, this was the lowest level since October, but has now remained above 4 million quits since June of last year. This is amazing because if you look at a long-term chart of quits, we had never seen the 4 million mark until last year. With all this competition in the workforce, I do see elevated wage inflation continuing through the rest of this year. I, I mean, I just don't see how you don't have that pressure. I was talking to my fiance this morning, and I haven't looked into it, but she told me that at Target, their minimum wage now is like $24 an hour. I heard a number similar to that, yes. Yeah. And, and how do you compete with that? Right. You know, it, it's... You go work at Target for twenty four dollars, or you know, you, you go work somewhere else and it's twenty five dollars an hour. It's like, well, you know, I'll just why why would I go to college? I can just make twenty four dollars an hour. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, what's going on behind the scenes that people don't see is that they are finding ways for automation to reduce that. Yeah. And this is how I think we'll get to the automated things where a lot of things. And we I've seen videos of they have um, uh, hostesses that you know, a robot can actually walk you to the table and get the table and do that. Actually waiters, uh, inventory where they can actually have people load, the, not people, but actually robots load the shelves. The, 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 what, what, what has happened is that because of this, they're gonna push people out. And I think down the roads, we're gonna have a problem because machinery and robots came in and took a lot of jobs. So I, I disagree with the, the hostess and the waiter I don't. I go out to a restaurant. I, I like the atmosphere of that. At that point, I'd rather just. Why would I pay more to go to a restaurant? You know, it, it it's kind of loses. I think that service appeal. But I think like at a place like Target. I mean, I know Amazon right. has tested. You know, carts where you just throw products in and it registers it up, and then you you leave and it charges you for whatever was in your cart. Right. I, I mean. That's the type of stuff that I, I think you're right could get definitely dinged. I mean, I was listening to a conference call for a uh, poultry maker, and they now have automation to debone chickens. Right. <clears throat> that used to be a pretty labor-intensive skill. Well, now they don't need that anymore. They have the automation to do it. So, so automation is definitely growing. But I, I know we've had this debate before. <laughs> I said I think that you're right that automation will create displacement of jobs, but it will also create new jobs as well. Yeah, and, and it will. It will create new jobs. But I, I got to go back to the hostess and the uh, waiter, uh, waitress, uh, went to a restaurant, uh, f when was that, Friday night. Uh, hostess, yes, follow me. Went to the table, put the menus down, and walked away. I mean, a lot of times, <laughs> she, you know, now, it is kind of nice when they talk to you, how's your day going, and so forth. But yeah. that has become a rarity sometimes. And the same thing with the waiter, waitresses. I've seen waiters and waitresses that they just come over, like, what's your, what do you want? Yeah. And, you know, so, but I get it because I like the friendly ones and so forth. And I always will tip them better. But, uh, you know, again, if you're, you're, and again, keep in mind that if you're at a restaurant and now you got to pay not $15 an hour, but 20 or 24 like Target, that really hurts your bottom line. And when you look at buying a, a robot for, I'll say, I don't know, $5,000, you paying that monthly over the next five years, you can save a lot of money. And that robot never has a vacation day or a sick day or whatever else it might be. So I, I think, and I, I, I agree with that. I, I like the personal service, but unfortunately we're gonna go that direction because they're being forced into it. I yeah. mean, so, 
and, and can you raise the prices? And actually, well, he'll be coming on pretty soon. Harrison, our financial planner, was shocked at how much did the cost of his burrito he gets on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Trader Joe's went Trader up. Joe's, yeah, it went yeah. up fifty cents. Went from what was it? Two ninety nine to three forty nine for that bean and cheese burrito. Yeah, 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 and it's just like you're going to see more of that, unfortunately. And, and I and I do want to kind of go back to the the wage inflation. I don't. I mean, we're going to have wage inflation, but I don't think it's going to cause more inflation because there's it's not going to add more money to the economy. I try to explain this to people that the reason why prices go up is too much money chasing too few goods. Well, there's a lot of money out there already, so I don't see a major problem with wage inflation. When it's going to put more money in the economy. That's going to cost the price of goods to go up even more. I think we're going to still have probably. I think we've talked about. I see inflation four or five percent uh, after things slow down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's what I, I think is you're going to see wage inflation. I think sustain itself around that five percent level. But then I think the the CPI just kind of the broader base. I, I know the uh, the Fed uses the PCE. I, I like to look at the CPI just a little bit more. Yeah. It's kind of I, I think more broad base. Um, but I, I just think the CPI is, is going to kind of maintain itself along the, the wage inflation around 5%, unfortunately, for the remainder of this year. And, and the thing that I look at, too, is, you know, we, we did a post on it, is if you look at, like, the cost of used cars. Right. Well, used cars, I think year over year, were up like 41%. Yeah. But if you looked at, I think forty point seven to be exact. Yeah. <laughs> but if you looked at, you know, twenty twenty one compared to twenty twenty, they were only up like three percent. Yep. So you had that huge acceleration this year. Well, we had that used car price spike start in April. So April of last year, used car prices spiked twenty seven percent. Very unlikely we had a forty percent spike on top of a twenty seven percent spike this coming April. So that should start to kind of curtail inflation a little bit as we move forward. That's why I don't think you're going to see inflation around 7 8%. I think it's going to pull back. It's because we started to see heavy inflation at the end of last year. Yeah, and one thing I've not heard about uh, much was the chip shortage. I'm wondering if that's starting to get a little bit better because if they can start producing more cars, we could actually see deflation yeah. in used cars, which is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, you're supposed to buy a car, and as it gets sold, it's supposed to go down in price, yeah. and not up. And, and again, I, I've, I've thought about selling one of my cars and driving the other ones, but I just, I like all my cars, so I'm I, I just not going to do that, even though it saves me money. Uh, look, well, I look, the phone lines are all open, though, one 833 Again, that's 833 0973 and that will get you through for your unbiased no strings attached fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about well while we're waiting for uh, callers to, to call in here i uh, did want to talk about my charity again sure. um have a, a kind of an event going on here we did it last year uh could could win a hundred dollar visa gift card which i think is pretty sweet wait a minute inflation it should be by uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it didn't go up unfortunately <laughs> this year but uh we're doing a march madness bracket challenge all you have to do is you go to the website fightersfightfoundation.com again that's fightersfightfoundation.com you'll see there the march madness bracket challenge all you have to do is donate twenty dollars sign up for the competition fill out your bracket and the winning bracket will get that hundred dollar visa gift card so hey you get a gift to charity, okay. and you could get a $100 Visa gift card. I think that's a pretty sweet deal. And, and why don't you tell a little bit of difference, since we got no calls come in, uh, a little bit of difference about what your charity does, because it doesn't go to cancer research or something yeah. they don't see. It's really, really very uh, personal. Yeah, it, it's, I'd say, kind of more hands-on, direct yeah. to the women. So the money goes actually directly from our charity. Nobody takes any salaries or anything like that. There's not that administrative burden that a lot of the larger charities have. 
And what we do is we provide experiences for women. So right now we're actually working on a spa experience. I thought this would be a great new introduction, you know, a nice spa day for, uh, you know, a, a friend or a husband or a partner, whatever it may be, so they can kind of go relax and, and take some time off. Because, I mean, my, my aunt went through breast cancer and mm -hmm. unfortunately passed. That's why I created it. And just seeing the, the amount of stress with the doctor's visits, the chemotherapy, just having that relaxation is, I think, going to be a, a nice experience that we're going to start offering. The big thing that we do is we provide Christmas experiences, too, which yeah. uh, that's probably my, my favorite one we do. And we'll go in and, and provide, you know, like a Christmas tree and presents for all the kids. Um, you know, unfortunately, it, you don't know how much time the mom has. So we want to make sure that that is uh, their, their most memorable Christmas ever. So, um, you know, it, it, it's going on now. It's third year right. of uh, you know, operation. So kind of looking forward to, to building it again. And the, the March Madness Bracket Challenge was a kind of our gateway to events. So yeah. uh, we're excited to offer it again. Yeah, and, and it's just so personal because, again, you actually get to see where your money's going. And, and again, I, I don't want to tell people not to contribute to cancer research because we need that. Mm -hmm. But with your Fight or Fight Foundation, I mean, it's just you can almost feel it and see it. I, I know you don't post pictures too much because you want to give people the privacy, but you, you can almost touch it because you know that you're really helping somebody personally as opposed to being lost uh, somewhere else there. Yeah. So. so just again, that, that website one more time is fightersfightfoundation.com. And, uh, you know, just go there, enter the challenge, and uh, hopefully we have a good turnout this year. And, uh, okay, well, I looked over. We got, uh, I think we go to calls now. So uh, let's head out to Poway and speak with Tony. Uh, Tony, you're, uh, no, I don't think he can do it. No, Frank can't do it from there, Kenny. Okay, well, well, if you're on hold, stay, stay with us because we got, uh, you're coming on through. We see it. We got to wait for uh, Frank, uh, our new uh, producer here to help us out here. So uh, we'll wait till he comes back in the room and pick up those calls. I, I did want to talk about uh, Ford and GM anyways because we talked about oil. Uh, continue to be impressed by both Ford and GM's innovation and advancement in electric vehicles. GM has announced a pilot program with Pacific Gas and Electric that would allow its electric vehicles to power the home in the event of a power outage or grid failure, which we've talked about. I think we're going to have more yeah. going forward. Yeah, and this follows Ford, which has highlighted this feature on its new F-150 Lightning. I mean, this would be an awesome advancement as power outages cause such a disruption in our tech-heavy lives. And it's kind of funny because we're kind of overwhelming the electric grid by charging, but they, you can also kind of save it with these <laughs> these uh, these cars to right. power your home. So <laughs> it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. But, uh, you know, it is something that will continue to improve. The electric grid has continued to improve, and we're not ready for it completely, but, you know, it, it should occur over time. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's just something that I uh, don't know how it's going to work um, because, again, does it have a generator in the car or, or what? But it's just these are things that going forward that we have to be prepared about because the electric grid is not very well. And I think we did that last week. About yeah. the, the, I think it was like 240 uh, do you have it from last week? Yeah, uh, no, no, it was, no it was, yeah. yeah, we talked about it last, last week. week. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Poway and speak with Tony. Tony, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can I help you? Good morning, guys. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you fine. I know we had a little, little difficulty this morning, it looked like with the phones. <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, you're on air now. How can we help you? Great. Um, bought a stock a while back called Anali Capital. I think it's N-L-Y. And um, I've actually lost a lot of money. 
so far. It's not done well, but it, it, it's got an amazing dividend. And I, I, I don't know if this is one to get rid of or just hold on to it. You, you know, I think we've looked at this one before, and, and I'm excited to go over it again because I know it's very attractive looking. Uh, but l l let's look a little bit more into this company, see what it is here. Again, the company is uh, Anali Capital Management, symbol is A-N-L. I'm sorry, N-L-Y. Uh, they are in the REIT mortgage industry. Uh, not much on the float side, only 43% uh, in institutional ownership. You got a nice P-E ratio of 4.4 versus 8.6. Price to sales, 3.8 versus 4.9. Price to book value, 0.9. That's the same as the industry. And then price to cash flow checks in at 3.3. Very good compared to the industry at 100. Now, it does not have a peg ratio going forward, which is your PE divided by growth, tells you what you're paying for the future growth of a company. Uh, we do see that the earnings over one year, no change there. That's not good. Same thing with sales, no change on the sales. Uh, we do see on the dividend, this is what excites people. You got a dividend yield here, it shows, of 12.4%. Uh, the payout ratio is 55%, but that's what's exciting. People are like, well, gosh, I'm gonna get 12% per year. That, that's pretty good. Look at the balance sheet here. It is a REIT, so a little bit different here. Uh, they've they've got a nice debt to equity, 0.5 versus 1.8. Uh, net profit margin, this is where it gets strange, 89.8 versus 61. Return to equity is 17.3 versus 11.5. I mean, these numbers are just, I, I don't feel comfortable because they're so strange. Uh, Chase, maybe you can shed some light going forward here or something you're saying. Yeah, unfortunately, my... Um FFO estimates aren't working, and I do believe since it is a mortgage rate, I think it is a little bit different. I don't recall if we look at the FFO versus the earnings. I, I do have the earnings estimate for the company, okay. uh, so that is a positive. But let's take a look here to begin. The current price with uh, Anali Capital is $7.09, 52-week highs $9.64. And the 52-week low was $6.45, so kind of trading close to that 52-week low, unfortunately. Year-to-date, uh, hasn't done too bad year-to-date. Down 9% as the S&P is actually falling about 12%. Market cap, good-sized company at $10 billion. If I look forward, though, on the earnings, I do see estimated earnings per share of $0.98. Cents. If I use that $0.98, cents, we would get a target sell price here of $16.27. So that does look positive in terms of the valuation of the company. But the thing that, that I've talked about in the past with these that's concerning is it's a mortgage REIT. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very concerned about mortgages going forward. I, I mean, I was looking at, we have a large bank in the portfolio and their loan origi originations. Well, about 60% of their loan originations were refinances. Yeah. I don't see that continuing anymore because, well, interest rates are not going lower. They're, they're continuing to climb, which I do worry about kind of those loan originations and that slowing down, especially to the purchase volume could slow down as interest rates climb. It could deter people from buying houses as well. So I, I, I'd be very cautious with this. I, I know we've talked about this one in the past. I, I don't like it because it, it's in the mortgage business. I don't see that as a growing industry. And one thing I'm sitting here thinking about it, and you got to do a lot more research to really understand how they're growing their business here, is that it would be nice if they are just away mortgages because if rates go up, they will go up as well, so that'd be b beneficial for you. But you really gotta understand this business, and, and I don't have right now the comfort level saying, oh yeah, this is great, go ahead and buy it, because I don't understand how the business works. And that's what you, I, I just said, well, actually it'll be on Monday, I think I did about understanding the business you invest into, it'll be on KSI on Monday. But um, on 
on what does Anley Capital do? What is their business model? Um, and if you can find that out and figure it out, it might be good. And even if you only get the dividend and that's all you ever get, well, gosh, at 12%, you're gonna double your money about every, what, six years probably. Unless the stock price goes down. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, so. and that's one thing I understand is with a REIT. Well, REITs, it's a real estate investment trust, they go buy properties. So yep. you can continue to buy properties but with a mortgage read, I'm assuming that they just kind of hold all the, the mortgages. Right. I worry about their acquisition of mortgages going forward. And I wonder, too, is that dividend? Is the dividend sustainable? You could get a 12% yield now, but if rates go up and all of a sudden they're not able to hold as many mortgages, well, that could be problematic because now they can't pay out that 12% yield. And here's the other thing, too, Tony, you got to think about. It's like, okay, so mortgage rates right now are around, we'll call them 4%. How are they paying out 12% when they're collecting only a 4% return? Now, they may be doing like uh, hard money lending or something, but then you had the problem of, okay, so now some people are going to default and so forth. That's going to hurt them. I, I just don't know how they're coming out with all these strange numbers. And usually if, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. I, I think it could be worth the research, but I, I just I don't understand how a mortgage company can pay out a 12% dividend yield when your yields are only – Four to 5%. And one other thing that, that'll be concerning to me as well is it, it's kind of like a bond. Well, the, the value of these mortgages that they hold currently, and I'm assuming they just kind of hold the mortgages, well, as right, rates rise, the value of that mortgage is going to decrease yeah. because, well, I'd rather have a 5% mortgage than a 3% mortgage. So um, I, I definitely think there's a lot more to research here, Tony, and, and you know, I've actually never held a mortgage REIT, so... I'm not as familiar with that business model, but it, there's a, as you can tell, there's a lot of concerns and thoughts that, that would go on to continue to hold this business. Yeah. All right, Tony. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate Have, it. Thanks for the call. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That opens on the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Marcos and speak with Phil. Bill, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. How you guys doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Hey, I wanted to get your input on uh, Huntsman, H-U-N. I've got a very small piece I bought into a little while ago, probably less than 1% of my total portfolio, as I was just still gathering more diligence and researching the company. Hey, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've never heard of this company before, but I almost feel like there was a movie or something named Huntsman. We, we've looked at Huntsman. Yeah, it's a chemical company. Okay. I gueah, guess. I, and, yes, chemicals. Okay. Yeah. May, may, maybe I'm, but I, I knew the name looked familiar. But I think Hun maybe you're thinking of Kingsman. Kingsman. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking of. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Kingsman. Thank you. Uh, well, let, let's say it's uh, Huntsman. Uh, symbol is H U N. Uh, we do see, let's see, let me look at the institutional ownership, 86.6%. Uh, they're in the chemical industry. Uh, only 1.9% floats, so no, nothing there. We do see a PE ratio looking pretty good, 8.1 versus 11.1. Price to sales, 1. That is the same as the industry. Price to tangible book value, 2.5. Very good because the industry is at 10. And then price to cash flow is 8.8, .8, just slightly above the industry at 7.8. And the peg ratio comes in at 1 versus 7.6, so it tells you you're not, again, paying much for the growth or the future growth of this company. The earnings have climbed by 303% over the past year, well above the industry at 117%, both great growth on their earnings. Sales are up 40.5% for Hudson, 
The industry is only up 11.9, so that's a positive there. Five-year growth rate comes in at 9.5% versus 9.2. They pay a decent dividend of 2.3% and only use 15.2% of their earnings to uh, pay that uh, dividend out. And that five-year growth rate on that dividend is 8.4%, so they keep growing that dividend, which is very good. Looking at the uh, balance sheet, we see uh, current ratio 1.9 versus 2.9. That is good. Debt equity is 0.5 versus 0.6. That's another positive there. Net profit margin, 12.4, above the industry at 8.9. And return on equity, very good, 23.9 versus 17.1. Chase? Looking at the current price here for Huntsman, I see it is at $37.79. 52 week high of $41.65 in the low, $24.09. Uh, great year-to-date start, up 8.9%, uh, you know, easily outperforming the market. I'm going to say I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that. And, and I, I say that because I, I thought a lot of times chemical companies, a large input cost was oil. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I'd want to look into here, Phil, is, is how reliant is the, the cost of goods sold on oil because they could have some problems going forward here if they can't maintain their profit margins, well, because their cost of goods sold increases. So I'd look into that. I mean, it, it is a good size company here at $8 billion, not too small or anything. Uh, but going forward, it, it continues to look positive. As I go out to December 2023, the estimated earnings per share of $4.44 gives us a target sell price of $73.70. So the valuations on this, they, they look quite extraordinary. Balance sheet looks good. I mean, a lot of positives. I would just would want to understand that relationship to oil a little bit further. And, and uh, Phil, by chance, you know what type of chemicals they produce? Uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I looked into I it. it was more <laughs> in the fertilizer area, but don't quote me on that. Okay. Yeah, I looked into it, and there's some tough words to pronounce here. It kind of reminds <laughs> me of the biotech company. It's like polyurethanes. <laughs> they have performance products, advanced materials, textile effects. I, I guess that is a good point. Um, I do see that they do service a range of industries like uh, adhesives, aerospace, automotive, construction products, durable and non-durable consumer products, electronics, insulation, medical packaging, coatings and construction, power generation, refining, synthetic fiber, textile chemicals, and dye industries. So they do service a bunch of different industries. I'd want to understand their concentrations there, though, too. Yeah, I'm going to say that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely worthwhile looking at. And, and sometimes I recommend go to the website, kind of see more about what Chase said, about what the products are, understand the business, uh, be con concerned about the concentration. But it does not appear to be that oil's an issue for them, which usually for chemical, chemical companies it is. So um, I, I kind of think this one's worth the research. I like it. In many of those companies, do they do they just take some of those things as just, I'll call it like a pass-through? In other words, uh, if their costs go up, then their customers' costs go up and treat some of it that way? It, it, it could. I mean, but again, competition comes into play. That's why you want to know what the business does because if they have uh, a product that they're unique in, they can raise their price with no problem. But if it's very competitive and 10 other people supply the same product, well, you can't really raise your prices. You many times have to absorb that price unless the industry is going up as well. So it, it, could, it yeah. could kind of be like a <clears throat> refiner where, right. you know, price of oil goes up, well, price of gas goes up. So I, that's one thing, too, that you want to look at closer is uh, the relationship between the, the offset of the increase of oil. Yeah, so. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Okay, we'll Phil. see you next weekend. All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Thanks.
All right, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. I was going to go to Joanne, but Joanne, stay with us for a few minutes because we want to talk to our financial planner, uh, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Talk about something that uh, sounds pretty good, but it's really not because the first part sounds good, gift, but then taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about the gift taxes. So this is, I wanted to talk about some technicalities because, um, you know, sometimes I'll work with some parents or grandparents and they want to give stuff to their kids and grandkids, most commonly um, help saving for college or um, helping to make a down payment on a house or something like that. But it all kind of evolves around gifts. So I wanted to talk about how gift taxes work. Um, So in 2022, the annual amount that one person can gift another person is $16,000. Now that could be cash, stock, real estate, a car, whatever. One person is only supposed to be able to gift $16,000 to another person without running into any gift tax consequences. If you're married, you and your spouse can both gift $16,000 to one person, so that's now $32,000. So what happens is if you gift someone in excess of $16,000, that excess is considered a taxable gift. And then you have to file a form 709, uh, which is a gift tax return with your income tax return. Now, the important thing to understand here is gift taxes are not really an income tax deal. It's more of an estate tax deal. Income taxes, estate taxes are different. Gift taxes, again, deal more with estate taxes. So the way estate taxes work, in 2022, um, the estate tax exemption is $12,060,000, so about $12 million. What that means is when you die, the first about $12 million can go to your next generation without any estate taxes. If your net worth is more than that $12 million limit, anything above that basically is taxed at a 40% rate that goes to the federal government. Whatever is left over then can go on to your heirs. So that's a pretty big number, but that's also a a pretty big uh, tax rate, 40%, four zero. So when you make a taxable gift throughout your life, what that does, that excess and over $16,000, what it does is it just reduces that $12 million number, which for most people is not really a big deal. So, for example, if you gift, to make the number simple, $116,000 to somebody, that means you're $100,000 over the $16,000 limit, you've made a $100,000 taxable gift, which reduces that $12 $12 million number, $12,060,000, now down to $11,960,000. So it's still a very big number that can avoid estate taxes when you die. So it's not like you give somebody something and then you're going to have to pay income tax on it. It just reduces that that large estate tax number. Um, now, as far as that estate tax number goes, it's very likely, I would say, that that number is going to be reduced. Um, it almost did get reduced last year in the Build Back Better plan, but that did not go through. But um, even without that, in 2026, that's that's expected to be about cut in half, which would still give you $6 million to avoid estate taxes. Plus, if you're married, that's $6 million for both of you, so now $12 million for you. Um, So the point is, for most people, making gifts is not that big of a deal because, again, you're just reducing this this really large several million dollar number that... um, wouldn't be taxed anyway. Um, for high net worth individuals, that's a completely different 
thing, um, and that's something I'll probably talk about a different day because that gets very complicated on trying to reduce your taxable estate and avoid taxes and everything. But um, the point is, you know, technically, if you if you do make a gift to someone, it, it could be a taxable gift. You have to be aware of you know the things that you have to fill out. But at the end of the day, it's really not that big of a deal. And um, one other thing I was going to mention, a lot of people I see have what's called a 529 account, which is primarily for college, um, where 529 accounts, technically when, when you, if you have like a grandparent that adds money to a 529 account for their grandchild, all the money that's going in there is considered a gift. But 529 accounts are the only vehicles that allow you to make five years worth of gifts all at once. So instead of gifting $16,000 this year and then another 16 next year and then another 16 the following year, you can do five years worth, which would be $80,000 all at one time. Now, the way those accounts work is if the beneficiary, that grandchild or your son or daughter or whatever, if they withdraw money that's not for college, any earnings are subject to taxes and penalties. But it's only the earnings, not the contribution. So technically, you could take $80,000, put it in the 529 plan, have the beneficiary withdraw it immediately before there's any earnings, and that way there's no taxes and penalties, and you've just given them $80,000 without any gift tax consequences. So kind of a cool little uh, deal that you can get around there. Yeah, and it gets very complex. I'm sure people sitting there saying, well, what? what? How, how does this work? I mean, this is why it's so <laughs> important to have a good financial planner that is not trying to manage your money and also do your your estate planning and, and everything else because these are things that I, I, I believe your regular planners may miss. So that's why we, we do give the free consultation with people to come in to, to talk to you and so forth because these are things you don't want to mess up on because if you do, I know there's going to be a lot of taxes that we do uh, there as well. So Yeah, taxes and penalties if you don't do it right. So you have to be careful about how you go about making gifts. And again, higher net worth individuals have a completely different thing that they need to be careful of so um you know I'll, I'll probably talk about that at different day, things to watch out for all right well sounds good well harrison thanks very much uh, have a good weekend we'll see you monday morning all right thanks guys we'll see you monday okay bye-bye again as uh, harrison johnson uh cfp uh harrison johnson he is our financial planner at will asset management if you would like to sit down with him for a free consultation on all these things it talks about because i know it can be confusing we do that uh two ways to contact him one go to the website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com. Go to the website. You'll see his name there, how to email him and so forth. You can also give us a call at the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. and can speak to him directly and uh, set up a time with him. All righty. Phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. Uh, as promised, let's go out to El Cajon and speak with Joanne. Joanne, you're on the Smart Rest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. Just kind of wondering about KMI. Got into it because of the dividend, but uh, is there better places to have put that? You know, we're in the older category and can't risk losing it. Okay. How, what are how, your thoughts on KMI? How, uh, how long ago did you buy that? You said Kinder Morgan, correct? Right. Yeah. Uh, how, how long ago did you buy that? Three years. Probably three years. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, well let's take a look at the numbers here for you. Again, the company is Kinder Morgan. Symbol is KMI. They're in the oil and gas midstream industry. Uh, not mm -hmm. much float on this, 1.6. I'm kind of surprised, not much on institutional ownership, uh, only 56%. Now, you've got a PE ratio, and they still have some lower numbers, I think, from a few quarters ago. 
uh, a 23.2 is the P.E. ratio versus 22.3 for the industry. Price of sales, 2.5 versus 1.4. Price to book value is 4.5. That's very good compared to the industry at 47. And price of cash flow, 7.2 versus 7.5. Now, listen to these earnings growth uh, over the last year, up 1,460% versus the industry at 29.2. Sales for Kendall Morgan climbed by 42% versus 34.8, you do get a nice 6% dividend yield that's based on the current price. So your yield could be higher if you paid a lower price than what the price is at currently. Uh, the payout ratio is high, but again, I think because of the first oh, couple quarters ago, uh, payout ratio 137, I think that's come down as they report more earnings going forward. Uh, we do see uh, current ratio 0.7 versus 0.9. That's okay, but I wish it was a little bit higher. Debt equity looks good, 1.1 versus 2.4. Net profit margin, 10.7. Above the industry, 7.2. I like seeing that, but return equity is a little bit low, 5.7 versus 10.3. Chase, what do you got going forward here? You know, I was kind of sitting here thinking, and this is a pipeline company. Uh, majority of their business, it looks like, comes from that. I mean, they do have natural gas pipelines, product pipelines, terminals, and CO2 is actually the four segments they operate through. But they have 83,000 miles of pipelines and 143 terminals. Oh. But I was kind of sitting here thinking, I, I wonder how they charge. Yeah. There's one thing I've never looked at. Uh, I haven't held a pipeline company in uh, years that, I, that I've worked with you now. But I, I'm curious how they charge. You know, is it charged per company that they're transporting the oil, the gas? I mean, <clears> we know uh, we did the thing that you know, oil moves at, at 4.8 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. I can run faster than that. <laughs> so I, 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 that's one thing is like they're not charging per how fast they're moving the oil. I can right. tell you that. But, um, you know, if I own this business, I, I definitely want to understand how they generate their sales. Maybe maybe they lease them. That's what they do. It could. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of the first thing I'd look at. But uh, let's take a look at the numbers. Current price here for Kinder Morgan again. Ticker symbol is KMI. Well, that's eighteen dollars and ten cents. I see the fifty-two week high, nineteen dollars and twenty-nine cents, and the fifty-two week low, fifteen dollars and one cent. Year-to-date return, no surprise here, up fifteen point nine percent. Energy company, so doing very well with the energy movement. I'll call it. Large company at a $41 billion market cap. Not surprised since they have, again, 83,000 miles of pipelines. If I go forward for the company, though, I go out to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $1.10. Unfortunately, it gives us a target sell price of just $18.26, so not much above that current price of $18.10. It appears it, it's kind of hit that, that full valuation. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised at that myself. I thought there'd be a little bit more room to grow, but... Uh uh, Joanne, th this could be, watch it closely. What was the total sell price you said? 18.26. Yeah, so you may, we may recommend you sell it on Monday or Tuesday if it goes above that. And the thing we don't know is that will oil go much higher? We don't know that, but I, I'm not gonna mess around with that. I try to get a good price. Do you remember what you paid for it, Joanne? Mm, gosh, 17, I think. 17. I mean, you're coming out with a decent profit and you, I think you said you bought it like three years ago. You've collected a nice dividend. But I, I, I just don't know. I mean, if this war in, uh, in Ukraine and Russia uh, ends for whatever reason, I think you'll see oil drop down somewhat. And then same thing with this one here. I'm also kind of surprised that the range of the stock is not very much at all. Yeah. Yeah, very, yeah. very low. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would say sell that target sell price. And keep in mind that at our firm, we do calculate the target sell price every Monday because they change. 
So that's what you have to do is because maybe it doesn't hit that uh, this week, maybe it hits it next week, but perhaps the price per chain or the target sell price could have went up to 1850, 1860. So that's one thing we do at our firm is we know what the target sell prices are all the time because they can move up and they can also move down as well. So watch it closely. Already? Thank you. Appreciate you. Okay, Joanne, thanks for calling. Have a good one. It, and I, I, that's one thing I just don't understand is you would think that the pipelines might do better when oil prices are lower because that means there's more supply, so there needs to be more movement, movement. of it. But it doesn't appear to be the case. So I, I would definitely understand how this company makes money, how they charge for their products, and, yeah. and what's what's a big benefactor to owning this business. Yeah, and as you said, it's more of a sell than a buy. I mean, yeah. if it was a, a buy, I'd say, well, let's look into this one. It looks pretty good. Uh, we'd find that out, but we're not going to spend our time doing yeah. it because of the <laughs> fact that, no, we're going to sell it. But I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious. curious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go um, out to or up to or out to uh, Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you this morning? Good. How are you doing? Well, this is my favorite day of the year, the last day before daylight savings time. You know, you you live tonight? out in the country, you get up early, the birds are singing, the sun is out, and it's not even 6 o'clock yet. Is today the last day? <laughs> really? Oh, I'm glad you told yeah. us. I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't well, know that's, either. <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't actually researched it. I heard that in conversation. So. <laughs> it's your favorite day <laughs> of the year, and you didn't even know. How can we help you out there? Uh? Well, I owned SO uh, some years back, and uh, I'm looking at buying it again. Uh, again, uh, Looking at the uh, the uh, certainty of the dividend payout. All righty. Well, let's take a look at uh, Southern. Uh, symbol is SO. They are in the utilities regulated electric industry. We've talked about uh, the grid and so forth, so kind of curious on, on this here. Uh, we do see institutional ownership is 62%. Uh, wow, high PE ratio. I'm kind of shocked on this. 30.7 above the industry at 25.1. Price to sales also expensive, 3.2 versus 2.3. Price to book value, 3.3, that's tangible book value, which is better than the industry at 12.4. But price to cash flow is more expensive than the industry at 11.9 versus 10.5. Now, you do have a good peg ratio here, 3.1 versus 25.6. But year over year, their earnings are down 23.5%. Industry was up 17.3, so why did their earnings fall when the industry did well? Their sales are actually up for the past year, 13.4%. Uh, better than the industry at 4.4. So why did earnings go down when sales went up? We do see the dividend yeah, yield. That's is, a yeah, that, that's something you want to kind of look into. Uh, dividend yield yeah. is not as great as I thought it was going to be here. It's a 3.8, and they use 116%. The earnings have paid that out. That's not that as good as I thought it was going to be. Uh, we do see the five-year dividend average growth is 3.3%. Uh, balance sheet, got a current ratio, 0.8. That's the same as the industry. I'm okay with that. Debt to equity is 2.0 versus 1.5, so I don't like seeing that above the industry average there. Could be some problems with the debt. And net profit margin, 10.4 versus 10.1, and return to equity, nothing exciting, 8.5 versus 8.4. Chase? Yeah, I, I do want to say, too, on the earnings, uh, wondering if there was a write-down, because that, that's a, a huge, huge decline yeah. for, especially a utility company where they generally have pretty stable earnings. Yeah. I think what a write-off would be that would fit a electric company. I can't think uh, of one. Maybe there's like a 
gosh, what are they called? I almost said a pipeline, not a pipeline, but uh, you know, part of the grid or something. Grid they or something. sold that, and I, I, I don't so I wonder know. If, I wonder if, like, you know, if it's like PG&E a little bit. You know, they had that. I guess they went bankrupt, as it said, yeah. the bad write down yeah. from all the fires and stuff. They might have had something like that, for instance. Yeah, or, or there, yeah, it could have been a fire or something. But it, it just it looks strange, and um, you know, definitely <clears> worth kind of looking into. But I guess. Definitely worth looking into. I, I don't know if I would because I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. <laughs> Current <laughs> price here, $68.69. 52-week high, $69.76. 52-week low, $58.53. Year to date, it's up 1.2%. Uh, market cap, $73 billion. So good-sized business here. And the reason I say I don't think it's worth looking into, I go to December 2023. $3.82 is that estimate for earnings per share. It gives us a target sale price of $63.41, which is, again, below the current price of $68.69. I just don't think the the yield's that attractive, and to trade at that valuation, I uh, it just doesn't intrigue me very much. Yeah, and we like to find companies on sale that are great, you know, purchase and so forth. And this is just like, you, you may be stuck in this company earning that 3.8% dividend. But the it, declining stock price. The declining stock price for, for years. I, I'm just not excited about it. We also know too that the uh, uh, utility companies, electric utility companies, they're gonna have some problems going forward. So I, I'm gonna recommend stay away from this one. I know you kind of like it, you've had it in the past. I, I, I think you'll be well, I, yeah, but I Yeah, but I did sell it. Yeah, well, well that's good, yeah. And, and hopefully it's sold at the right time. But. But because you had it before in the past, sometimes like you get that comfort feeling like, oh, I feel good with it. Uh, the numbers, yep. I'm just not feeling good with it. I'd say stay away. Already? Yeah, I think that the one, the, the previous woman, the Kinder Morgan, looks like a better bet at this point. I think uh, what kind of previous one? caller. I think it was a hun the Huntsman. I, I thought I the Huntsman's the one I liked the best yeah. so far today. Yeah. yeah, look at the Huntsman a little bit. The Huntsman? Huntsman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, H-U-N was the same. All right, gentlemen. Thanks, as always. Have a wonderful day. All right, Jim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, I looked over the time, and I, I see Joe on Oceanside waiting, but we only got about a minute left, so Joe, I'm going to have to have you call in next week. You want to talk about Best Buy, and I think Best Buy's been doing actually pretty well. I know, yeah, because he called in last week asking about GM versus Best Buy. We looked at GM, I ah. think, so we'll have to do Best Buy here uh, maybe next week there, Joe. Yeah, yeah, because we only got about 30 seconds left. So, But, uh, yeah, it would be great to take a look at that, so we'll do that next week. So, yep. no, uh, we got a workshop coming up. Uh, no, nothing, maybe next uh, I know we talked about doing one April seventh. I think we'll we'll talk about that next week if that is occurring. But yeah, you know, uh, I think it's the the first or second week in April. Yeah, because I, I know right now with all the craziness going on, people really like the workshops. Could we talk more about what's what's going on for them? So tune in be on week. alert. Yeah, be on alert. Yeah. There's the closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you want to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions. Feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Have a great weekend. Bye. So amusing. To think that I did all that And may I say Not in a 